0: So today's show is something I haven't really talked about on the show before. I mean, pieces of it we've kind of touched on, but today we're going to get into using shapes and gestures and symbols together, rhyming in your photos. It'll all make sense. Trust me. It's Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion, all those stories and challenges that happen in between, as always, the show notes and links that we talk about are all at the website, behindtheshot.tv. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, they're also down in the comment section or the description section down below the like and subscribe button. So head on down there, you can find everything. It's not a full blog post like there is at the website, but there's pretty much anything you'd want to click on link-wise down in the description on YouTube. I want to jump right into the guest today because, first of all, the way that I met this guest is fantastic. This is happening a lot lately, and I, I love the way this community works. But secondly, what this person does photographically and imagery-wise is fascinating to me. I want to welcome to the show Nina Welch Kling. Nina, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on your show.
0: It is absolutely my pleasure. And let me just warn people ahead of time. There is a slight lag today. So if there's a gap between us as we're kind of waiting to hear on the other end, or if we step on each other, my apologies in advance. But this is going to be a fun show because again, the way I met you, we'll get into that in just a second. But what you do photographically and creatively is fascinating to me. Let's let's start with kind of a, a getting to know you a little bit. Uh, you're New York City based. Do you call yourself, by the way, a street photographer? Is that how you describe yourself?
1: It's always a good question. Um, I do call myself a street photographer because what I do is really photograph on the street. So, in the wider sense of things, yes, I am a street photographer.
0: See, and I, I like the way you clarified that, or or kind of disclaimed that. Well, in the wider sense, because what you photograph—it's not even what you photograph. The way your images end up is not what a lot of people think as street, although it's made from street photography. It's so much, so much of a fine art twist to it. I, I mentioned your New York City base. That's not where you're from, though. You're in a small town in, is it southern Germany?
1: Yep, in southern Germany called Schweinfurt.
0: And Very, how long have you been here in the States?
1: Over 30 years. So I came to... Um, study undergrad and graduate school. And then I stayed. So I've been in New York 25, almost 30 years. So I've been here for a long time.
0: See the Germany connection is how we met. I had a recent guest on the show, Kirsten Lutz, three heads in a row is his project on, on Instagram. I love what he does. If you don't know Kirsten, Lutz, go watch that episode. And there's a, probably a link down below as well. But as We were doing the show with Kirsten uh, called, by the way, Creative Portraits and Headshots. We're discussing people that we know and the way that I met Kirsten because Kirsten came to me through an introduction of a mutual friend that we have, Dave Williams. Again, if you don't know Dave Williams, it's I, Dave Williams, everywhere. And Dave Williams, a good friend and a brilliant travel photographer, right? Within a day or two of me recording the episode with Kirsten, he sent me an email unsolicited just sent me an email saying hey steve you need to meet nina apparently you guys the the town you're from is near where he grew up as well how
1: do you know kirsten he's i think through instagram he saw my work and he he we connected over over photography and as as we don't all love instagram but some really good things come out of out of social media. And and so Kirsten and I, we met over Instagram and he liked my work and he asked me if I would go on his show.
0: And correct. His podcast is also fantastic. I was also a guest on his podcast. Go look up the Kirsten episode, all the links to everything are there. But to me, it's kind of weird because the photo community is kind of like the six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon, right? It's everybody kind of knows somebody that knows, somebody, I, I, I sit back and I think to myself, there's probably 10 other photographers you and I have in common as friends.
1: I do think it's, it's wonderful to connect through other people. And I think, you know, zoom and, and the last couple of years really connected us via zoom and, and um, YouTube videos where before, I don't think we, we really paid much attention to that. And so that's, it's been really fun.
0: I agree. I and I think the pandemic changed it a little bit. It's funny Twitter to me. I've always described Twitter as the ability to send text messages to people whose phone number you would never have. And right. quite often they answer back. And some of the some of the most uh I would say real friendships that I have are people that I met on Twitter, many of which I have not met in person, but there is a a tangible distinct connection of a friendship there. And I kind of love the time that we're living in. Let me talk about you for a little bit because I did some research on you and I found some interesting stuff, your awards. So first of all, lens culture, and and I almost forgot to say, uh, for Kirsten, it's the camera shake podcast. It just hit me. I didn't say the name of the podcast, go look up the camera shake podcast and subscribe to it. Phenomenal, amazing list of guests that he's had on sidetracked lens culture critics choice award. You were the winner of that. You were the finalist in the lens culture street photography awards. And this one is interesting. You are one of eight women named as a Hasselblad heroine. That's got to feel good.
1: So every year, so it's yearly eight women every year. So I'm there about 30 of us. So how, how does something like that
0: come up? Do you shoot a (laughs) Hassel?
1: I actually don't. I'm I'm a Fuji shooter, but yes, exactly. That's that's like a whole other podcast. But it it basically, I got um, an email saying, "Hey, would you like to try the um, Hasselblad camera for your photography?" And I'm like, "Sure." You know, it's like, you know, do you want to drive a Porsche? No problem. You know, let me try it out. I mean, sure. A Jaguar, sure. (laughs) Please. Right. So they sent me the camera and you know it, it was interesting because it's not a camera I mean I usually shoot with the Fuji XT uh, uh the v x X100V and um it's a small camera it is tiny and so the Hasselblad was quite a big um quite a big camera and it was not the camera that I would usually shoot with but it was really fun to, to try it out. And then they asked me, I said, you know, would you want to be one of our Hasselblad parents? And I'm like, "Um, of course I would love it. But I had to now in four weeks with a camera I've never shot with kind of create some street photography. And actually it was really hard. So the kind of pressure, and I don't think it was, because it was also during COVID, it was, street photography photos don't just happen you right. can't set them up you can't plan them so there could be weeks where i go out and i have one or two shots i like if if i'm happy if i'm lucky but now i had a camera for four weeks and needed to shoot photos that were going to be on their website forever it was kind of frightening so yes i am a husband blood heroine
0: so so I, I in need many to- ways <laughs> Yeah, you survived <laughs> that four weeks. So I have to ask then, a question just popped into my head, and that is, you're normally a Fuji shooter. You're shooting Hasi for four weeks with that pressure. What did you think of the files? I mean, forget the photos themselves. From When when you get them on your computer, did you see a difference in the files at all?
1: The coloring was different. So the Fuji coloring, the Hasselblad coloring was White I mean, stunning in terms of their pink tones and, and so usually I shoot black and white. I actually shot in color for this project. I mean I, I shoot mainly I shouldn't say all the time in black and white, but the color were very luscious. they were very different. So the size of the file, yes, and the detail, in case I actually hit the the <laughs> if I got the focus right. Um, but the, the coloring was gorgeous, I have to say.
0: I've never shot a Hasi. Someday I will. You've been you've been published all over the place. You've been in The Guardian, British Journal of Photography, Dazed, uh, Modern Met. Uh, your work is in the book, Women's Street Photographers, which is congratulations on that one. That's amazing. And you mentioned you came here to study. You've got a bachelor in fine arts at the School of Art Institute of Chicago, uh, UCLA, Master of Architecture. That's an interesting one. So you effectively are an architect. I have to ask this as the first question. Does your architecture studies do your architecture studies? Do you see that showing up in your photography? I mean, consciously or subconsciously?
1: A hundred percent. I think your eye is trained graphically and in context it just sees the world differently. And I've always been very good in composition and even my architectural work and the conceptual part of it was always very um, organized, very geometric. So the way I organize my frame, definitely, <laughs> no, oh. no, you, your triangles. <laughs> She,
0: she she knows. Those of you on the audio feed didn't see what I just did, but something in my head, we were talking in the green room before we recorded about the image that I'm going to pull up today. And it's all clicking. It suddenly just clicked to me. The architecture background coming through. You'll understand when you see the picture. Trust me. Okay. And yeah.
1: I also think I shoot vertically.
0: You do a lot of your stuff. Why is that? Do you do you see? I, mean, I So
1: I just so I just I mean, I just published a book. I mean, I have to plug my book, but um, and it's it's all the 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 pairs and it's only vertical shots. So I and I, I like to say it's also part of the architecture or kind of, you know, that in New York, the kind of your your vision goes up and down. You don't see a horizon line. So my shooting has never been looking for that horizon line as a landscape photographer, or, you know, I, the only time you would see a horizon is if I would shoot over the Hudson river or the East river, you never get that sense. So my visual and my graphics always goes up and down.
0: Well, and I see in your work, when I browse through your portfolio, I, I see a lot of use of architecture, but you even use it differently. It's almost like, like a real architect being inspired by that building. And then i'm really stretching this my apologies but it's almost like you're inspired by the the street scene subject matter architecture in front of you but then you take it and twist it into your own building and we'll see that in the of the two that we're going to talk about today the, the the image on the left specifically I, I see that now you're a street photographer in, in the term but the book you're talking about is Duologues, your new book. There's a link in the show notes. How do you describe, though? Like if somebody says, oh, you're a photographer, Nina, nice to meet you. What do you shoot? How do you describe your photography? Because I, I find it difficult to put into terms because of those pairings.
1: It's very difficult to verbally describe what I do. I mean, I tend to say I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards the fine art. So it's kind of a fine art street photography. But then I often pull up my Instagram and just show photos. Because I think even if I would describe it, I think it's very hard to verbally, because it's like, you know, what kind of photographer are you? A wedding photographer, a landscape, like that all makes sense. My photos don't really make sense in those terms. I mean, I could say, you know what, I, I'm inspired by people, by, you know, like, let's say Ray Metzger. And then you kind of get a better visual if you're familiar with the work, you know, a brisee or like a darkness. But unless you've seen it, you have no idea what my work looks like.
0: Right. I, I completely understand that, which then brings in the question then. From a, from a more general point of view, what is your definition of street photography?
1: My definition would be that it has to be something that was touched or has a trace of human or animal. You know, like a, it could be a dog. Has been touched by a living thing, I guess. So a person snow steps, uh, snow prints in the prints in the snow. Sorry. To me, is street photography because there is a, a remnant or there is a trace of a person that was there.
0: I like that. I do. Or
1: I- you know, or it could be you know, if it's a longer exposure, and I don't really do a lot, but if it's kind of a ghosting of a person, that's it. Kind of involves this other element of time. Maybe you know, where if birds are flying, or you know, you can see a wing or a detail of it. There is like this. I mean, I like to say people's like, how, you know, what do you look for? I said, when I go out, I look for magic and it sounds kind of weird, but I I kind of want this photo to become something else. Like it has to be transformed into something else.
0: You, you, I interpret what you just said correctly or incorrectly, but I like it as it's organic meets inorganic. When those two combine in a certain way, even a feather's touch going by, that organic and inorganic meeting place, uh, that to me is what I see in your pictures. But you you mentioned earlier that you shoot a lot in black and white, as a lot of street photographer type art is, but you also have some amazing work in color. So what is your deciding factor for when you go black and white versus when you go color?
1: I think it's the idea of clarity. Like if my, <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, the color needs to clarify something that I couldn't explain in black and white. So okay. there's this, this, well, this one photo with the red hat, that photo in the blue background, that photo in black and white is a different photo. So the red head hat is key to the photograph. The blue background is key to the photograph. So it has to add this kind of clarity that in black and white, I wouldn't be able to get.
0: Well, and you have another one I'm thinking of that that has yellow in it, a yellow cab. And in that case, the two areas are both yellow, but it ties them together as opposed to contrasts right. them from each other. And again, what the way you combine things is fascinating for me to look at. Let's talk about today's photo. Before we do, I just wanna remind everybody. Today's show is available wherever you get podcasts. It's available in audio or video form. If you go to the website, behindtheshot.tv, you can find there's a whole side column over there of all the different ways that you could subscribe to the podcast. Of course, the video is also up on YouTube. You can subscribe there as well. And I don't put the full blog post there, but I put all the links that matter there. Of course, wherever you're going, whether it be a thumbs up or a subscribe. And if you, by the way, if you hit subscribe, make sure you hit the bell and choose all, where it really basically means nothing. But wherever you get your podcasts, uh, star reviews, written reviews, very, very much appreciated. I do use those. I do look at those. They do give me motivation to keep going as well. Uh, And so thanks to everybody on that. Now, before we we bring up the image, before anybody sees the image, I wanna describe something here. Today we have two photos, but one image. And I've discussed diptychs on the show before. I don't think I've ever had one as the primary hero image that we're talking about. But we've, you know, we've touched on the topic of diptychs or triptychs, two images together, three images together. But here's the thing. What you do when you combine two images, a diptych effectively is completely different than what I generally think of as a diptych. So a a diptych, and I'm sure I'm being overgeneralized and there's street photographers going, my God, that Steve guy's an idiot. That's okay. But when I think of a diptych, the pictures are normally related, not in shape or color or emotion. It's not that. They're normally related. They're both taken on Broadway. They're both taken in Times Square. They may be completely disparate images, but there's some kind of connection like that to them. Your Duologues project kind of takes diptychs to a new place to me, with the shapes and the symmetry and the rhythm and harmony that you create between things that are not necessarily tactile, like color, like curve, like shape, like lines. When I looked up your duologs project, this is gonna this is a bit of a paragraph but I'm curious what you say to this. This is how you describe on your website, duologues. Quote, I love to wander the streets and observe people. My series duologues records fragments of these encounters. It's a play between two images, creating meanings belonging to neither. A discovery process each viewer interprets differently, reminiscent of the idea of synchronicity, an idea that describes meaningful coincidences. My pairings intentionally produce uncanny relationships. Wow. That makes so much sense to me, having looked through your portfolio. Is there anything you would add to that or? I think the,
1: the just to kind of, pare it down recently because i've talked about this project a lot it's the two photographs to me are almost like this beginning of a story or like a movie scene and it kind of sets the story for the viewer so whatever the viewer brings to the story becomes what the story where the story will go and it doesn't matter where it goes it's it's you know, to whoever sees it, it's a different story. And I also like the idea that when there's a few of them where you go back and you discover different things. And just like I, when I go out on the street, often I come home and I discover things in the photograph that at that fragment of a second, when I took the photo, I did not see. And it's these discoveries that make me really happy. It's like this, this, this like, oh, wow, how did I not see this? And wow, it adds something else to the photograph. And then sometimes the pairing become about the piece that I didn't even see.
0: It's hidden surprises in your shots. There are little teeny presents all over your images. Yeah.
1: So I kind of also like the idea that it's not something that you look through once. It's like, oh, I got it. Some of them are easy, some of the pairings, because you kind of go into a rhythm of like, okay, I get it, I I know where she's going with it. And then there's a pair where you're like, what? Like, I don't see it. Like, wh- wh- why? And I often say, you know what? If you have a kid in the house or you know, like a smaller child, if you'd ask the child, like, what's the connection? They will come up with a story.
0: What you just described, kind of not right. Yeah. It's the, it's those things where you look at, uh, I don't know what they call them. They're on the wall. You have to cross, cross your eyes to see what's in the image. And there's an image. I'm trying to remember what was in it. It was like feathers on a hat or something like that of yours. And it, that's exactly what happened to me was I looked at it going, she paired these for a reason and I don't see it. And then I started doing something I'll do with this image here in a minute is I started saying out loud describing what I see in the image and I found the pairing in it is fascinating. Fascinating.
1: But the pair might not be what I saw and True. that's okay. True. You know, because you don't know why I paired them. You can kind of guess. And I think when you go, so, you know, when you go through the sequence of it, there is, there is a, to the insanity, there is some kind of system. So, you know, it's like something where you kind of get it and then it's like, oh, this is. Like, why are they paired? And then there's kind of a sense of humor. So then you get one It's like, oh, haha, you know, and then you take a deep breath and then you're like, you get a new pair and it's like, oh, you know, mm. so it's like this kind of moving through this story, just like I would move through the city. So I see things, I chuckle about things, I see sad things. And so it's kind of, so it is still moving Through a, you know, so this is where the street photographers is. It is still a kind of moving through a city. Just the way I see it a little, you know, from my perspective.
0: Yeah, I love it. Hopefully you enjoy it. Oh, I love your work. (laughs) I love your, in fact, I owe (laughs) Kirsten for introducing (laughs) us. So I'm going to bring up the image and this to me, like this pairing leaped at me. When I went through your portfolio and we were trying to pick which shot we were going to talk about. It was like, this one, please. And even my wife, I showed her your whole portfolio and she's like, that one right there. What do you call this shot? Obviously, I'm assuming it's the name that's written on it.
1: What do I call the shot? I don't think I have a name.
0: So, because the text is written in there, is it Ethel?
1: Oh, it would be Ethel because, but that was, it's a club on the Upper East Side where I live. Ah, oh, So that okay. just happens to behind it.
0: So let's talk for those that like the technical stuff. Let's hit the camera stuff first and then get into the more mental stuff. What body did you shoot these with?
1: This was shot with an XT Fuji X-T3. And I mean, I actually looked it up because I'm not a very technical person. So um, it was shot with the X-T3 and I used the XF23 um, lens. So it's a little pancake lens with the 1.4 F, um, stop and I shot it at F 10 and it was an ISO 800. My ISO is usually totally not what you would learn in school. Um, or if you would have a formal training, which I don't have. So I kind of do what works for me. That makes sense. I mean, I could have probably, yeah.
0: What was your shutter?
1: I think it was one was at f ten and one was at f nine.
0: Uh, for your aperture, what about your shutter speed?
1: Oh, what did I shoot this with? I think it was probably ugh, I didn't even write. oh no at um, no you know what I did not even look this up. That's right. It was probably around um, oh, one eight hundred, one four hundreds, one eight hundreds probably. Do
0: you shoot in an auto mode, like an aperture priority or or time? Shutter priority or do you shoot fully manual? Fully manual always?
1: So I shoot fully manual for my settings because I always shoot. um, So technically what I do is I expose for the highlights. In order for my photos to work, and they're all shot in very high contrast, in bright light. Right. I always want to make sure that I do not blow my highlights. So that is usually my number one concern when I shoot. Um, So I will shoot manual, but I have very bad eyesight. So I will actually shoot in um, autofocus.
0: Okay. This shot is a perfect example of why you would expose to the right and not want to blow your highlights. Because the detail that you have in that left image, those panes, of building, I'm assuming it is, we'll get to that in a second, in in that left image, the shading that you have there, the nice gradients that you have there, if that had been blown out, it still actually would have been an interesting shot if this was super high key, but I think that shading, that allows you to see the three dimensions that we have going here instead of a two-dimension graphic design work. For those of you listening on the audio feed, let me try and explain to you what we're looking at here. And again, when you're looking through Nina's portfolio, try this because if you come across a pairing and you go, I don't know why she paired those. Try doing this because you'll start to see it, right? And this is, a, this is one image, but it's two photos. Photo on the left, photo on the right. There's a wide white border around them, small thin gutter or, you know, Space between the two images, both images, as we talked about earlier, portrait orientation. Let's do one image at a time. Left-hand image. This appears to be, to me, we'll find out if I'm right here in a minute. This appears to be the side of kind of a piece of modern architecture, like a Getty Museum or something like that. It is rotated, I believe. So if you picture a building like a modern building, like a museum type building is what strikes my mind from this because it has curved rounded pieces with grooves kind of cut in between, but it's all turned 45 degrees to the right. And each of those pieces of what I assume are concrete are separated by. So those, those, those pieces are white and gray as I talked about, they have like a nice gradient, not blown out though, totally retained the highlights. Each ring is separated by a black space, right? Left side of the building is rounded and sunlit. The right side of the building, and again, it's turned 45 degrees, so this is the bottom right corner of the image, is all dark black shadow, except it's not black. Like I can still see the building in there. It's super faint. I mean, I'm thinking there's maybe 10% gray in there. It's so faint, but the detail is there. The lines between those building sections are there. The graphic design here from a geometric point of view is what really, really strikes me. There are triangles all over this image. Bottom right corner, triangle upper right corner, triangle, uh, bottom left corner and upper right corner, bottom right corner, larger triangle, upper left corner, triangle. There's graphic design all over here and it lines up perfect with the golden triangle overlay. If you were to do this in Lightroom, it's brilliantly done actually. The large rings, lower left and top right, they're smaller in the middle. And really that left image is all about shapes and curves and shading and shadow. It's brilliantly done. On the right, separate image. The entire image is black space. So if you think graphic design, they talk about white space and graphic design. This is the same thing, but it's pure black. There's really only three elements in this image. Bottom left-hand side, written almost like dot lighting like individual bulbs, is ethyl in a cursive. Lower right-hand side is a person. One main element is their bodice, the, the arm and the upper torso. And they clearly are facing camera left in what looks to be a sweater that, again, is not clipped. It's grays and light whites, and it's really, really perfectly exposed. On top of that bodice is a head. And that head is you can see where the head is, would be looking to your camera left, but there's no face. The inside of the hat matches that black space that's on the rest of the image. And the hat itself, I don't know what they call these. They're almost like the, uh, the Miami hat you'd see, like a Cuban type hat with a large bowl. It's white, like a white straw hat with a black piece of fabric around it. Well, what that creates is you end up with the bottom area of the hat, the shading part, matching the curves of the building. The top part of the hat matches the curves of the building, and the black fabric in between matches the cutouts in the building on the left. It really is, again, all about shapes and the two images mimicking each other. Did I miss anything?
1: I don't think you did. Nobody has ever described it so beautifully. So thank you.
0: Thank you. But <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. When you describe your images in in detail and really start like those of you listening on the audio didn't see me, but I was drawing on the image at one point. When you start really pulling out those individual elements, you start to find the harmony. So let's start with the the global view. Tell us why you paired these two together.
1: Well- Usually I start from kind of like a big picture so I felt that in terms of tones and balancing each other out they worked well together. You know because there is so much blackness in and it's so it's a photo of the Guggenheim on the left
0: It is a museum.
1: It is. Yeah yeah, it is a museum. Um and it's quite an iconic building so it's i tend to unless it's kind of an abstraction of the building i tend not to like using iconic buildings in new york because then it's really hard to transform them if that makes sense because you know the 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 um statue of liberty like how are you going to transform that into something magical i mean it's already magical so how much better are you going to make it or how just, different can you show that?
0: You just described what Scott Kelby does in with flowers. When people send flowers to him thinking that they're beautiful and his response usually is something to the effect of flowers are kind of beautiful to start with. So if you're going to take a right. picture and freeze a flower, it better be one hell of a picture and one beautiful flower because you're not going to make it better than it was in real life.
1: I agree. And I th- I think there's something and especially if it's so recognizable, like, you know, so you easily dismiss a photo because then it's like, oh, yeah, I see it. I've seen it and I'm, I'm moving. So going back. So I felt that in terms of balancing the two photos, in terms of how much white and black there is, it worked well for me, graphically speaking. And then, of course, you have the mim- mimicking of the curve. So the curve of the Guggenheim and the curve of the ha- hat makes it very easy to kind of draw a, the, the, the diagonal connection between the two. So often in the two, in the pairings, there is a connection that runs across both photos. So it's, yes, so there are two photos, but I could almost have them in one, one photo and saying this woman is looking up at the Guggenheim or is looking up at the, at the building.
0: You could fill that white space between these, and people would think this was taken as a single shot.
1: Right, I could I could make that believable. And, I mean, it and, would be a little weird, but I could move it up a little, and I, you know, in terms of perspective. But I could create one shot out of that, and also, you know, the the texture work. And it's kind of it's an introduction, and it's I think it's my it's my second pair in the book. It kind of places you in New York. There is a timelessness in that I often look for in photographs, there is ambiguity and there is mystery. Which are all things that I, I like to find. And, and and again, I think it's to open up what you see in it. Well you know so then... you can see yourself now looking up at a building or you know you can identify with this person or you could say, oh you know what, this was maybe during my grandparents' age to have a photo like that. So I strip photos often of the context, which people always like, well, your, your photos look very timeless. And I thought about that for a long time. And I think it's because I remove a lot of the context yet. It doesn't feel old. I don't want it to feel like it was taken 60 years ago. I still want this kind of fresh. So the ethyl and those, and yes, those were lights. This is actually like this, this, the name of this club. There are always hints of that it's a modern or modern, modern. In 20 years, it won't be modern, but it it gives you a time and place.
0: Individual light bulbs on the sign. So here's the question, though. Was that person standing next to it or Ethel was put in separately?
1: She was standing next to it. Ethel is there.
0: See, and here's the other thing I love about what you did here, (laughs) because I, I always look at photography And again, in this case, yes, it's two photos, but it's really not. It's one image, right? And I always look at the way somebody assembles an image and the choices that they make and think, if you asked 10 photographers what they would do here, you'd get 12 different answers, which I love, right? But some of them to me would be the right answers and some would be wrong and that'd be different for somebody else. And to me, there are photographers who would have done a shot like this if they had the talent that would have thought, oh, I need to see some of the face. And that is completely the wrong answer to me because not only do I not see the face or head, I don't I don't even think about it, right? I don't even want, I, I don't wonder who is that? What is it, it? By removing that, by blacking that area out You've broken this down to just these geometric shapes that are understandable, recognizable. It's kind of like what Peter Hurley says about headshots. When people say, why do you cut off the top of a head? It's not like somebody doesn't know it's there, right? right? Everybody knows there's a face there. You don't care. And I, I, I just think that's really, honestly, your work is amazing. Here's my question to you, though. So this is very high contrast. And. Not easy to photograph that high contrast. You're going out clearly in light that's harsher light. You're not doing this at dusk, right? You're going out midday when every other photographer on the planet goes, I won't photograph at 2 p.m. Okay, well, you could clearly. Your your work has such a recognizable style of capturing and using not just light, but using contrast using that harsh contrasting light. So when you're out there, what are you seeing? What are you looking for when you're shooting? Because a lot of people would look at these and go, you know, it's too clipped or whatever. You're managing to shoot it and keep all of the detail in the shadows and the highlights. What is in your head as you're seeing this?
1: I I always like to say that I'm kind of like a moth to light. Like I kind of see when there is a speck of something lit by the sun against a dark background. So it's usually these transition areas where light goes to dark. Or where there's a strong shadow and then people walk into it. This is kind of where I like to be. This kind of in-between stage because that way i get the person moving but i get the the very clean background i mean i'm i'm such a stickler there's not a lot of messy photographs they ve- they're all very clean my backgrounds are very organized and i think it's part of the architecture and being german maybe <laughs> <laughs> i like it orderly <laughs>
0: it it runs it runs in your veins but here's the thing though i what i want to know because i'll be i'll be honest i've told this story before walking down a street in las vegas with my buddy troy and he's photographing the ground and fences and i'm like i literally looked at him and went i don't i don't see what you're seeing like i wish i did i know you're coming up with something that's going to be awesome and it frustrates me that i don't even see what it is you're seeing so let's take these individually. You're standing there to photograph the museum. When you see this light on this building, what runs through your head? Did you see turning pro- it in your mind before you took the picture? Did you know you'd turn it?
1: I Or did you shoot it that way? This... No, I shot it that way. I mean, I shot it turned. Okay. It's not, I mean, the, the yeah, these are, I've walked by this building a million times because it's kind of going to the park. I walk by there all the time. And on that day, the light transformed the shapes and I saw it and I put, and I always walk with my camera. I have my little camera with me and I took the photo or a couple of photos. And that was it. And the woman on the right, I mean, that was a split second. I kind of approached the scene. I saw the hat the brim, the shape in the light. And I took that photo and I'm like, oh God, please don't move. Because you don't have the time to, to, you know, the luxury of saying, oh, I mean, I could have posed her and I've done, sometimes I do that and I say, you know, oh, I love the light. Would you mind taking photos? But this was a second, it was a street fair. So there were lots of people around, but it was kind of the end of the day The light just hit her right. And I just took a couple of photos. And um, I was like, oh, I hope I didn't blow this out. But that's all I see. But I look for pieces, lit up pieces of of, or, or lit up shapes.
0: Okay. You use, speaking of shape, you use better than almost anybody that I've met or can think of. You use geometry and color in the images that you have that have color and shape and gesture. Really, honestly, better than almost anybody I can think of. I see triangles and curves all over. I see patterns. I see relationships that I would not see. So, and, and again, here, each of these images could be framed and hung on its own. Each one of these images compositionally is strong. Together, they not only are just as strong, possibly stronger.
1: What is composition? It's actually a very, you know, it's actually, sorry. No, there go ahead. Are one of the prerequisites to make it into a pair is that the photo has to l- be able to live on its own. Oh. So it's not to kind of lean on another photo. So when I take these photos that go into a collection in Lightroom, and they get a green mark and there might be 700 or 800 in it that are possible photos that could be paired with something but unless it's a strong photo on its own it is not going to make it into a pair just because of what you said and i appreciate that you that, that it feels that way because there's a lot of thought in 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 you know is that a photo that is strong enough to to live on its own it's kind of like in a relationship. I always feel that, you know, if you look for a partner, now we're going into like, my husband will be like, what's, what's she talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you look, if you're, if you're in emotionally in a weak position, I don't think it's going to work if you look for the other person to fill that void. So the second photo cannot fill and make up for a lack in, in a shitty photo. Yeah, that or what I would sense. consider not, not, not my best photo. So if, if you look through my book or, you know, if, if, if listeners want to go through my website, a lot of it is in my on my website. You will see that each one of these photos have something about them. But as a pair, it's a different story.
0: When you're looking at composition, what does the term composition mean
1: to you? A good question. Um, I think it it it's there's something about the balance of the photograph. And I think when I started photographing, so talking about one photo, not like the composition of the two of them, I started where I kind of like these fragments that would come in, I would cut them out or I would think they needed to be cloned out. And then over time I realized, you know, they make the photo, and so. The composition is can be many different things. It could be a centered photo. A lot of mine, I would say, are kind of like a centered subject. But sometimes there's the things around them and there's there's a pair that is this dog fur. And I liked all the fragments that made the photo instead of the one subject. So I think the composition can switch of what a good composition is, that is a terrible answer. (laughs)
0: Oh, no, it, it actually made sense to me. It actually made sense to me, which could be me. So take a look at this image here. What what would you have done? Actually, first of all, strike that. Not what would you have done, but when you have a pairing, do you edit each picture completely individually or do you edit them based on what the pairing needs? They are
1: edited individually. Once they're in a pair, there really isn't a lot of fine-tuning to make them come together. They kind of come together the way they were shot. And maybe that's why they feel, I mean, I don't know how to say that They're authentic. They're not made to match, but they just happen to match the way they are. So I don't do like a lot of, I mean, maybe I'll I'll do a little bit in, in, in you know, tonal values. But no, I mean, the one on the left was dark and light. And the one on the right was as it was. And when I put them next to each other, I was like, oh, wow, they, they really work well. And there's like you, this balance of dark and light. And it, it just.
0: It's yin and yang. This is this is there's a harmony here. Each image playing off the other one. What would you normally do? editing a photo?
1: I start, well, when I take a photo, so I knew that both of these photos will be black and white. Even so I shoot in raw, I knew they would be black and white. I saw them black and white because when I shoot them, you just see kind of the lights because they're so dark when you shoot them that I kind of knew what they looked like in black and white. So then I will just, um, you know, adjust the contrast, the one on the right, maybe I I don't know how much was really dodged in and that might've been cropped a little. My later work now, I go much closer. So I crop minimally or I don't crop at all just because I have no room to crop, which is like I, 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 this is, I mean, it's also interesting because this pair I'm kind of removed from the street scene. There's a lot of photos that I take that are so close. So this is kind of like a neutral ground where I start out with.
0: I love it. But, I uh, just love it. It really, honestly, <laughs> folks, you've got to go look at Nina's portfolio. You got to go look at Nina's Instagram. And for that matter, I've got links to the book and everything for Duologues, the book uh, in the blog post over at BehindTheShot.tv because just really, honestly, I love what you do. And I love the way that you see contrast. I mean, we always talk about everybody photographs light. Light is light, but you know, light illuminates shadows defined and your use of shadow, your use of contrast and your use of of midtones to really set shape and scene is fantastic. I want to switch gears. We're going to do a speed round. So for these questions, answer with the first thing that pops into your head. What is your top street photography tip?
1: Go out and shoot. If you stay home, nothing will happen. You've got to go out.
0: What's your top don't do this for street photography?
1: Don't stay back. If you see a shot and you, you're bra- you, be, you, you need to be brave, you need to go and take it. Like, don't be afraid. Like, don't stay back and say, oh, I should have. Take the opportunity. Great advice. Do.
0: Really, really good advice.
1: More do than a don't.
0: Favorite composition rule if you have one.
1: Probably rules of third.
0: Favorite source of inspiration.
1: photographers on the internet.
0: Favorite band? Like
1: looking up, sorry, like that's kind of like, if you see a photographer that you like, read up on them.
0: Okay, I like that actually. And that's the, that's one of the problems we were talking at the beginning actually on social media. I think there's so much coming at us that I think sometimes we see, like I hate the fact that Instagram mostly is suggested posts now, but periodically there is a shot in those suggested posts and it irritates me because it's a suggested post. That's amazing, and we need to go explore what we find. That's that's amazing. Your favorite band or performer?
1: Oh, I just listened to Kraftwerk, so I have to go with that. That's not okay. my favorite, but
0: that it fits. Favorite <laughs> drink?
1: Ah, uh, chardonnay, glass wine.
0: Any photographer out there? that you think more people should know about?
1: Harry Gruyard. I mean, he's known in street photography, but I feel like his sense of color and light, but current. Okay, I'm gonna have to pass. I'll get back to you.
0: Not a problem. We can actually You see. (laughs) It, there are surprises around every turn. Uh, we can use Harry. Harry will work. So again, uh, if people want to find you, they want to connect with Nina, where can they go? What's your website?
1: com, And if you want to DM me on Instagram, I will always get back to people. I love that. Any question about about a pair or anything you saw or anything you want to know about my work, just drop me a note. If if I don't follow you back, I will, I mean, I will definitely answer questions.
0: Okay. I like that one. And and so that everybody knows, and I just put it up on screen, but Instagram is at Nina Kling. Facebook is Nina.w.kling. And Twitter is Nina WK for Welch Kling. So all the Show notes, all the links that we talked about are in the blog post at behindtheshot.tv. Make sure that you head there. As well, don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, head on down, hit subscribe, click the bell, uh, all of that type stuff. And all the links are there, but there is a limit on characters in the description on YouTube. So I don't put the whole thing I write about, Nina. So again, if you head on over to the blog post at behindtheshot.tv, you will find all of that type information as well little blog post I wrote, a small gallery actually of her work, but it's easier if you just go find the link and go visit Nina's website. Nina, thank you so much for doing this. And by the way, Kirsten, if you're watching this, thank you for introducing us. Thank you, Nina.
1: Thank you. Such a pleasure.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. And there's something I'm going to do right now that's a little bit different. I was in LA recently and there's a longtime viewer, listener of the show, uh, Terrell Woods. Terrell used to be in the live streams all the time that I did with Don Komoreczka, the live critique shows. And when I was out there, he had some bottles of whiskey that he wasn't gonna use. And a lot of the people that watch and listen to the show regularly know that I'm a whiskey fan. And he gave me a couple of very, very nice bottles of whiskey. So I wanted to give a shout out really quick uh, to Terrell because that was absolutely wonderfully kind of him. And lunch was fantastic. We need to do it again, actually, one of these days. But it got me thinking. So many photographers that I know Are into whiskey. Troy Miller, Photo Joseph, Frederick Van Johnson. And I could go on and on for the people that I know that are into whiskey. Alistair Jolly. um, Yeah, so on and so forth. So it kind of got me thinking. I've got a big collection of whiskey. Each show, if I remember, I may not always remember, but if I remember, I want to make a suggestion on whiskey. And I'm going to start with this one. There's a guy on YouTube that does a channel called Bourbon Real Talk. And if you ever watch a Bourbon Real Talk video, at the very end, he talks about his philosophy of the show, which is amazing. It's worth watching to the end just to get uh, his philosophy of the show. But he makes his own whiskey, too. And his whiskey is the Prideful Goat. And the one I'm going to pick, let's see if I can get to focus. There we go. Is the Prideful Goat Six-Year Rye. If you're a whiskey fan, this is, I've seen it anywhere from maybe... $60, $70 to $90. There's one place I saw it for $100, but it's under $100. And if you like rye's, it is an absolutely fantastic rye. Again, the prideful goat from uh, the guy over at Bourbon Real Talk, and that's a great channel to follow too. I want to mention Kirsten, again, the Camera Shake podcast. If you have not subscribed to that one, subscribe. And again, please do take the time to head over to BehindTheShot.tv, subscribe to my podcast, it would be very, very much appreciated. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can get this in video or audio format in your actual podcast application if that application supports video. Otherwise, you're stuck with the audio only, but you can always go there and see the pictures that we're talking about. My name is Steve Brazel. As always, I appreciate all the support. Make sure that you join us next time as we take a look inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind the shot.